to say good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus. I was actually up at our Mill Creek campus earlier this morning. They're doing a great job up there. So welcome to all of those at our Mill Creek campus. We have two uh, churches. So we have one church in two locations. We're in two campuses. One's about 20 miles north of here. And so I would ask you that you are watching online or you're not attending anywhere regularly to attend the campus that is uh, closest to you. Well, uh, I was reading about something the other day I thought was really kind of fascinating. Um, uh, if you ever are familiar with criminal justice or criminology, criminal justice experts uh, tell us that it's, it's the worst form of punishment that you could ever give to any prisoner. As a matter of fact, it is so terrible that there are now people out there saying that it's torture. Uh, they're, they're saying it's cruel and unusual punishment. They say it ought to be banned. They believe it's unconstitutional. And I'm not talking about pulling out fingernails or toenails with pliers or, or uh, dipping people in hot acid or covering people up with honey and letting insects feed on them. That's not what I'm talking about. Experts say there's something worse than any of that. They're telling us now that the worst possible thing that you can do to a human being, if you really want to punish someone, I mean, you really want to inflict really unbelievable pain on them, they're now telling us that the absolute worst thing you can do is to put them in solitary confinement. Put them in a place where they have absolutely no connection with anyone in the outside world. They have no communication. They have no conversation with anyone in the outside world. And they've learned that there's nothing more devastating than the human psyche. There's nothing more psychologically just absolutely destructive to the human soul than to be put in complete isolation where you talk to no one, you see no one, you interact with no one, and no one interacts with you. And there's a reason for that. And I know why that is such a terrible thing. Because we were created for relationships. We, you know, we were never, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? Everybody was created for relationships. Nobody was ever created to be alone. Relationships are the spice of life. I, I have been at the death, death, uh, death uh, 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 bedside of, of dying people many, many times as a pastor. And I can give you firsthand testimony that when people are lying on their deathbed, the only thing important to them at that moment in their life is their relationships. It didn't matter how, many, how much time they spent at the office. It didn't matter what kind of a car they drove or what kind of clothes they wore. When you get down where you're about to leave this planet, you're about to draw your last breath, the only thing that really matters is all, at all are relationships. You go back to the first chapter of Genesis. You'll find that human beings were put on this earth primarily to enjoy and to experience and cultivate two primary types of relationships. The first is our vertical relationship with God, and the second is our horizontal relationship with others. And by the way, that is the order of priority. Have you ever thought about this? And I, I bet a lot of you haven't. You know, God created, we believe, God created the first man and named him Adam. Well, God was certainly capable of creating the man and the woman at the same time. Why didn't he do that? Why did he create Adam first with no one else in the world? There was no other human being except Adam. And I don't know how long it was, but obviously there was a period of time when except for Adam and the animals, there wasn't anyone else. Why did God do that? Because God was sending us a message and letting us know that from the time we come out of our mother's womb, the number one relationship we ought to cultivate is our relationship with him. 
The most important relationship we have is our relationship with him. And that's why God created Adam first and God created Adam alone. And God said, Adam, in effect, I want you to understand that the most important relationship you will ever have on this planet is not the one you'll have with your wife. It's not the one you'll have with your children. It's not the one you'll have with your grandchildren. It's not the one you'll have with your friends and your buddies. The most important relationship you will ever have on this planet is your relationship with me. That is to be your number one relationship. Now that raises a question, why? Why should I make that relationship the most important one? Why should I cultivate my vertical relationship with God before I ever think about cultivating a horizontal relationship with other people? Well, the answer really is very simple. You will find that a right relationship with God enables you to have the best relationship with others. If you're a husband, if you're really closer to God, close to God as you ought to be, you'll have a better relationship with your wife. If you're a wife, if you've got a really close relationship with God, you'll have a better relationship with your husband. If you're a son or a daughter, if you've got a close relationship with God, you will have a better relationship with your mom or with your dad. That's just the way it works. When you're right with God, the more right you are with God, the better you can relate to other people. As a matter of fact, it goes even deeper. When you have a strong relationship with God, you should want to establish a relationship with others so that you can bring them into a relationship with God. I want to read that again. That's so important. When you have a strong relationship with God, you should want to establish a relationship with others so that you can bring them into a relationship with God. That's why we're in this series of messages that we're calling follow the leader that we introduced last week. That's why we're talking about this. Because the very reason that Jesus came to planet earth was not just to show people who God is. That was just part of it. The reason why Jesus came to planet earth was not just to show, okay, this is what God looks like in a human body. He also wanted us to know this is what it means to have a relationship with God. When you know me, you know God. When you relate to me, you relate to God. When you talk to me, you talk to God. That's why he said to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said to those disciples, I've spent three years with you trying to show you this is what a relationship with God looks like. See, here's the problem. Most people are pretty familiar with the birth of Jesus. I mean, we celebrate it every Christmas. I think even unbelievers kind of have that part of the story of Jesus down. Most people are pretty familiar with the last week in the life of Jesus because we kind of tackle that around Easter. And so even unbelievers kind of know about somewhat about the trial of Jesus and the, uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper and the crucifixion and the resurrection. They know all about that. But what about the other 155 weeks of his life? What about that massive amount of the three-year period he spent that we know about? What did he spend his time doing for most of those three years? Well, he did with his life the same thing he wants you to do with your life. He did with his life the same thing he wants me to do with my life. He spent three years of his life just simply trying to make a simple connection with other people so that they could be spiritually connected to God. Now, let me tell you why and how this is such a big deal for you and me. See, there's a big difference between communicating with people and connecting with people. 
We communicate with people every day. You've communicated with somebody coming into this building before you walked into these doors. But there's a difference between communicating with people and connecting with people. If you don't understand that difference, I absolutely really show you that difference every single Sunday. Because here's what I'm doing right now. I'm standing up, on this, up here on this platform, and I am communicating to you. I'm teaching truth. I'm going to be talking about principles out of God's Word. I'm going to be trying to say something that might change your life. I'm going to do everything I can to draw those of you who know God closer to God. I'm going to do everything I can to introduce those of you who do not know God into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so you can know God. But that's all I can do up here. I'm simply communicating with you. That's what I'm doing. But now when I get through, I'm going to walk off this platform and I'm going to go out to a table called the pastor's table out there in that lobby. And I'm going to stand there. And I'm going to speak to people as they leave. And anybody and everybody that wants to come up and see me, you know this, they can come up and see me. Now, I don't have to do that. I could do what a lot of pastors would do. A lot of pastors, and I'm not throwing out on other pastors, a lot of pastors, as soon as they got through at this first service, they would walk out the door, go back to the green room, and sit there till the next service, and just chill out and relax. I don't do that. I go out to that lobby, and I stand there, and I meet people and greet people. Why do I do that? Because that's where I connect with people. I don't connect with you in here. I just communicate. That's where I connect with people. That's why I get here early and I walk around and I shake hands. That's why I talk to people. That's why I ask questions. That's why I inquire about things. I know there's a difference between communicating with people and connecting with people. And here's the beautiful thing. When you study the life of Jesus, you find son of a gun, he did exactly the same thing. He understood that difference. Jesus knew there's a difference between communicating with people and connecting with people. And Jesus spent three years of his life trying to set an example and show us by example how to make a simple connection with other people. Now, I could take you to a lot of passages. I'm going to take you to one that I think illustrates it the best. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, you got an iPad, smartphone, whatever you do, I'd like to invite you right now to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Very easy book to find. It is the first book in the New Testament. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. And while you're turning, let me tell you what we're going to learn today. This is the simple lesson you're going to take out the door with you as we get ready for fan day. And even beyond fan day, as we realize our mission on this planet is to connect with God so that we can connect with others and get them connected to God as well. This is what I want you to remember today. You can't take people where they need to go until you meet people where they are. You can't take people where they need to go until you meet people where they are. That's what Jesus spent three years of his life doing. He went to where people were so he could connect them to who they needed to be connected to. And when you follow the leader, and he's the leader, that's exactly what you will do. So what did Jesus spend three years of his life doing? What did Jesus spend 155 weeks doing with his life? He tells us what he did is what we need to do. Number one, we need to proactively connect with people. Now, that word's very important. The word proactive is very important. We need to proactively connect with people. Now, listen to what Jesus did. We're reading in Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus, this is what he did for 155 weeks. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And then Matthew's very specific. He said he did three things. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming 
the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, evidently, that really got Matthew's attention. Evidently, that was a big deal to Matthew. You say, well, how do you know that? Because he repeats it. He had already told us the same thing about Jesus five chapters earlier. Back in Matthew chapter 4, listen to this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, that raises a big question. Why would Matthew repeat himself? I mean, just four chapters earlier, five chapters earlier, he just said that. Now he comes along and he tells us exactly the same thing. Why would Matthew repeat himself? Well, this is my theory, and I think it's right. When Matthew wrote his gospel, because remember, he was one of the disciples. I think when Matthew wrote his gospel and he looked back and he realized what Jesus had spent his time doing, it absolutely amazed him that the Son of God, the King of the universe, the promised Messiah, when he shows up on planet Earth, he wasn't cooped up in a palace. He wasn't isolated in an ivory tower. He wasn't sitting on a throne with a sign over his head that said, by appointment only, he said when he came to planet earth, he took the initiative. He went looking for people. He went where people were. When Jesus came to planet earth, he said, look, I don't want you to find me. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to go looking for you. You can stay in your home. I'm going to come to your home. You can stay in your village. I'm going to come to your village. You can stay in your town. I'm going to come to your town. I am going to take the initiative. I'm going to be looking for you. I'm going to be trying to find you. But when you think about it. Jesus could have very easily said, look, I came all the way from heaven to get down here. Now, you come to me. I think, I think I've kind of paid my mileage. I think I've kind of, you know, I think I've kind of paid my expenses. You come to me. I've gone more than halfway. So now, you want to find me, you come looking for me. He didn't do that. Matthew says, amazingly, he spent three years of his life proactively getting out of his house, getting off of his seat, and trying to connect with people. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. Jesus went to them. And that, this is where I want to make this very practical and just be honest. I'm not fussing at you when I say this. I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm just stating a fact. What I'm talking about right now, frankly, is what a lot of people who go to church and come to church every Sunday never get. They never understand it. They don't grasp it. I don't know why, even though we talk about it, but they just don't. Sunday is not a resting place. Sunday is a launching pad. So, well, what do you mean? We come to church, and I'm glad you come. I'm so thankful you come. Trust me, I'd rather preach to a field seat than an empty one. There's just no thrill in preaching it, although there are empty suits in some seats. I'm not going to tell you where you're sitting, but there's some of you here, okay? But, but seriously, we come to church. What do we do? Well, we worship, right? We serve, yeah. We fellowship, yep. We encourage each other, yes. We learn, yes. We take notes, yeah. We sing, and yep, we, we, we do all of that. Why do you think we do that? Do you think we do all that we do here on Sunday morning just so you'll feel good? Do you think we'll, we'll, we do what we do just to so it hopefully it'll make you have a better week? Now, we do want to make you feel good in, in a spiritual sense, and I do want to help you to have a better week. But listen, do you know why we're doing everything we're doing this morning? Everything we do is trying to get you ready to go out of here and connect with people. 
It's trying to get you to walk out these doors and realize you don't leave the church. You take the church with you. As a matter of fact, you know where you're primarily the church? We are primarily the church, not on Sunday morning. We're primarily the church on Monday morning. That's where the church is. And everything that we do here is simply trying to prepare you to leave the church, go find people who are not in the church, and follow the leader and do what he did in trying to connect people to the Lord and to the church. And by the way, we're told Matthew says he didn't just go to people just willy-nilly. He had a purpose in mind. He had an intention in mind. He said when he went, he was always doing three things. He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. Why those three things? Why was it everywhere that Jesus went? There's three things. There was always three things on his to-do list. I'm going to teach, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to heal. Now watch this. This is so beautiful. This is why we do what we do as a church. Because Jesus knew that people are disconnected in their hearts. They're disconnected in their minds. And they're disconnected in their bodies. And he said, I want to connect with all three parts. Folks, let me give you an example of what we do. We have in our church here on our campus, we have ministries like Celebrate Recovery. We have the Stephen ministry. We have divorce care. Why do we do those things? Because we're trying to connect with people who have become disconnected in their heart. And, 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 and it's why. Why do we emphasize the teaching and preaching of the Word of God? Why is it you know that it's always good to have a Bible in some form or fashion when you walk into our church? Why do we emphasize truth? Why do we say, look, we want to tell you what God has to say today. Why do we do that? Because we know that people are disconnected in their mind, and we need to fill their mind with the Word of God. Why do we have a care point ministry? Why do we feed people? Why do we clothe people? Why do we have a benevolent fund where we uh, help people stay in their homes and pay their rent, provide their, for, for their families? Because we know people are disconnected in their bodies. And so we have built our entire church and our entire ministry simply trying to do what Jesus did in a real biblical sense. We want to teach, we want to preach, and we want to heal people where they are. That's why we have groups. This is so important. That's why we want every person to be connected in a group. Because some of the best connections and some of the most intimate connections and some of the closest connections you will ever, ever make in any church will not occur in this room. They will not occur in this building. They will not occur in this hour. They will only occur in a group, just like Jesus had with 12 disciples. It will only occur in a group where you can meet people. You can get to know people. You can hear their hurts, and you can share your hurts, and you can meet their needs, and you can have your needs met. That's why on August the 30th, and if you've got a pen or something, write this down. On August the 30th, we're going to be uh, observing Groups Day. And what we're going to be trying to do is simply give you a creative way to connect with people and really get involved in our church. And every adult in our church is going to have the opportunity to connect to new friends in either a home group or a campus group. Now, here's the point I want you to understand. Jesus wasn't paid to go to anybody. He wasn't on the clock. He wasn't on the payroll. Nobody paid him to do this. He wasn't ordered to go to anybody. But the moment he started his ministry, he said, look, I get it. This is what I was called to do. This is what I came to do. I was called here to connect with people. And what God called his son to do, he calls us to do. And the reason why Jesus came into this earth is the reason why God brought us into this life. 
so that those of us who are connected to God could go out and start trying to find people who are not connected to God and get them connected to God as well. So Jesus wants us, all of us in this room, me included, to leave here on Sunday morning and proactively go out into our neighborhoods, go out into the marketplace, go to our offices, go to our schools, go to the ball fields, go to the gymnasiums, and begin to connect with people who are disconnected from God and connect them to God's family. Jesus did that. He said, I'm going to be proactive. I'm not going to wait for people to come to me. I am going to go to them. So that's the first thing every one of us is to do. That's what we want you to do every time you walk out of this building. You wouldn't, I want you to have that mindset, Lord, who out there will you bring to me? Who out there will come across my path? Who out there do I need to be looking for today that may need to be connected to you? Now, here's the second thing Jesus did that we need to do. We need to passionately care for people. Now, let, let me just stop and just kind of full disclosure here, kind of get this out. You won't do the first thing I told you if you don't do the second thing I'm telling you. You see, here's what this all comes down to. I can get up here and I can motivate you and I can browbeat you and I can point a finger at you and I can kind of do everything I can to kind of get you charged up and fired up and you're sitting there, you know, yeah, I know I need to do that. I, I, need, I need to get more active in my office. I need to get more active in my neighborhood. I need to get more active on my football team and I need to do this and I need to do that. It won't last long unless you start passionately caring for people. And before I say anything else, whether you want to admit it or not, you know why you're in this room, every one of you? You know why every one of you in this room right now? Because somebody passionately cared for you. I'm here today because I had a mother that passionately cared enough for my soul that she made sure that she did everything she could that I might come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, 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 have, the, I have the level of surrender that I have today because I had people that poured into my life growing up, Sunday school teachers, RA directors. I had people that poured into my life that made sure they understood they passionately cared for me. And as Jesus began to connect with people where they were and where they lived and where they worked and where they played, let me ask you a question. What did he see? When Jesus looked at people, what did he see? All right, listen to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, I'm looking at a crowd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I read that verse of scripture, every time I read it, I wrote a question beside it. I have to ask myself the question I want you to ask yourself right now. Do I really see people the way Jesus saw people? When you drive, when you get, when you drive home this afternoon or the, and you go to your restaurant and you have lunch and then you drive, as you drive by the homes in your neighborhood, can I just ask you, do you see the people in your neighborhood the way Jesus sees the people in your neighborhood? Do you even see the people in your own family the way Jesus sees people in your family? When you go to work in the morning, all those people that work behind those cubicles, do you see those people the way Jesus sees those people? He says, let's be honest, most of us don't. As a matter of fact, here's the truth of the matter, most of us don't even like crowds. We certainly don't like to be in the middle of crowds, and most of the time, we view crowds with contempt. 
not with compassion. I mean, if you know this, if you're ever stuck on the freeway, do you see people with compassion? Have you ever been on the freeway? You listen, listen, I'm guilty, so I'll just go ahead and admit this. You're all backed up, and maybe, you, man, I've had this happen one time. I had to get to the airport, almost missed my flight, and it's all backed up. I mean, six lanes of traffic. And two people driving down the interstate, can't even drive the interstate without having an accident. Have you ever gone kind of past them? How do you look at them? I'll tell you how I look at them. <laughs> and it's not a lot of compassion, right? Well, that's just kind of the way we are. We don't really kind of look that way. In fact, I'm kind of ashamed to tell you this story, but I'm going to be honest and just tell you, be, be, be kind of transparent. Years ago, when I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, I went on a mission trip to India. That's where I met Stephen Ruth Nolan. And Steve and I were going to a place there in India, and where we were going there, we were in this, the city, I think, of Calcutta, big city. Well, where we were going, we had to take a train. So taking, if you've ever been to India, it's an adventure, okay? If it hasn't, I'll tell you. Taking a train ride in India, it's not like taking a train ride at Disney World. And you, it's not like a train ride, at, you know, in Stone Mountain. It's more like being in a cattle car, okay? I mean, you are literally shoulder to shoulder. You are body to body, and you're squeezed in like sardines on this train. I mean, you, they're so full. You, can't, you, you think there is no way they can get another human being in this particular car. Well, when we got on the train, Steve looked at me, and just before we got on the train, he grabbed my shoulder and he said, now, James, whatever you do, don't get separated from me because I have no way of getting in touch with you. You've got no way of knowing where to go. And I'm telling you that you know, where, we, where, where we're going, these areas are very, very dangerous. You don't need to be out here alone. So he said, you know, when, when we get to our stop, I'm going to tell you this is our stop. And he said, whatever you do, you get off this train because we get separated. I've got no way of talking to you. You've got no way of talking to me. And it's very, very dangerous. What I heard him say was, Mr. Hunt, your mission, should you decide to accept it, <laughs> is to get off this train at all costs. Now, let me tell you, when those doors shut, sure enough, I mean, people are crowding on, well, I'm already separated from Steve. My number one mission and goal in life was to get off that ripping train. <laughs> no matter what else happened, no matter what else happened, their fault, my fault, nobody's fault. I'm getting off that train. When Steve gets off that train, I am getting off that train. So we're rumbling along there, and Steve yells at me because everybody's chattering all. He said, we get off at the next stop, James, and when that door opens, you move. Now, the problem was the doors here, Steve had, had enough sense. He's close to the door. I allow myself to get separated. I probably got eight rows of people between me and that door, Right? So we get to that stop, the door um, opens. I, I'm not proud of this. I'm not, I'm not at all proud of this. But there were some men on that car that didn't think they could fly, but they could. You talk about parting the Red Sea. I'm grabbing men by the collars of their shirts, and I'm flinging them everywhere. I mean, they're, they're going. I am getting off that train. You say, what, did you make it? I'm here. <laughs> now, I mean, I, it looks, it was like a 7-10 split if you've ever bowled, okay? Now, that's not the way Jesus saw a crowd. 
When Jesus saw a crowd, the Bible says it's so beautiful the way it puts it. He was moved with compassion. See, this is one of the ways we're so different from Jesus. There's some of you in this room, you get in a crowd, you get claustrophobic. Okay, and I'm not making light of that. But when Jesus got in the crowd, he felt compassionate. As a matter of fact, this really was central to who Jesus was. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, if you would sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, it might be gathered into one sentence, he was moved with compassion. Can I tell you why? When Jesus looked at people like I'm looking at you, you know what he saw? He didn't see heads and hair and body and fiber and sinew and muscles and bones. All he saw was one thing, hearts. He saw hearts. And when he saw hearts, he saw hurts. If Jesus were standing here literally right now, you know what he would say to you? In every section of this room, there are hurts. You're hurting, aren't you? Yes, sir, I'm hurting. Ma'am, you're hurting, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yes, yes Lord, I'm hurting. Yeah, Lord, I'm, I, my marriage is in trouble. Yes, Lord, I just lost a child. Yes, Lord, I've got cancer. Yes, Lord, I've, I've got an alcoholic spouse. Yeah, I know you're hurting. Jesus looked past all the things that we look at, and he saw hurts, and he saw hearts. He saw people the way they really were. He could look past the face and see the fear. He could look into their heart. He could see the hurt. See, too often, here's my, and look, I'm guilty of this. We see a crowd, all we see is a forest. When Jesus saw a crowd, he saw the trees. He was moved with compassion. So let me just ask you this very serious question. When we look at others, do we really see them? I mean, honestly, come on, let's get honest. When we look at others, do we really see them? Do we really see our neighbors? Do you really see the people that you work with? Do you really see your teammates? Do you really see your classmates? Do you even really see the people that you live with? The people that you work with? God help us to see into the hearts of people. God help us to discern the hurts of people. See, too often when in my own life, I don't really see people when I see, look at people. You know what I do? I look past them. I see right past them. Yet when Jesus saw other people, he saw their hearts, and his heart went out with them. He was moved with compassion. Now, let me just tell you about that word compassion. That's kind of, a, kind of cleaned up in the English language. So please forgive me for saying this, but it's just the way it is. The word for compassion literally means the bowels in your body. In other words, we would say that when Jesus looked at people, it was like a gut punch. It affected him all the way down into his very intestines, into his very bowels. So I want to say this again. When we see people the way Jesus sees people, we will care for people the way Jesus cares for people. That's our problem. That's why we go out of here and we don't think another thing about inviting people to church. We don't think another thing about sharing the gospel. We don't think another thing about trying to be invest in someone's life. We don't think another thing about doing anything spiritually for anybody else because we don't see people the way Jesus saw people and therefore we don't care for people the way Jesus cared for people. Well, how did Jesus see this crowd? Well, here's the amazing thing. When he looked at this crowd, he didn't see what you and I would have seen. He didn't see a crowd of people. He saw a flock of sheep. And here's what he says. 
He says they were harassed. Now, that word literally means to skin an animal. In other words, life had cut these people to the quick. He looked at people and he saw people that were battered and bruised and mangled and ripped apart and worn out and exhausted. Because Jesus knew something about people that we ought to realize about people. And you know what that is? Everybody's got issues. Hey, I got news for you. I got issues. You got issues. I got problems. You got problems. I got things I'm going through in my life right now that's not easy. You got things you're going through in your life that are not easy. Everybody's got issues. We're all harassed. And then he said they were helpless. They were helpless. That word literally means to fall flat on your back and not be able to get up. You know, if you don't think about sheep, if a sheep ever falls over on its back, it's called a cast sheep. If a sheep ever falls over on its back, you know what happens to that sheep? It'll die. Because a sheep that falls on its back literally cannot get up. If it lays out in the hot sun, it will bloat. Or even if it's not hot, it will starve to death or it will thirst to death because it cannot get off of its back and go where it needs to go. And every day, Jesus said, we work with people. We live next door to people. We golf and fish and hunt with people. And they're barely making it. They're struggling through life. They're worn out. They're tired. They're tired of trying to make their marriage work. They're tired of trying to build a business. They're tired of trading water and never getting anywhere. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said, and he knew it, a sheep without a shepherd is dead meat. A sheep without a shepherd has no hope. A sheep without a shepherd has no help. They've got no shot and no chance. They'll either starve to death, be eaten by wild animals, or they'll just wander off and die. And what Jesus was saying is, we need to begin to see people as sheep without a shepherd. And our role is to lead them to that good shepherd that will take them beside the still waters, that will take them to the green pastures, to take them to a loving shepherd that understands their hurts, gets their heartaches, and has the remedy for every problem that they're facing and the answer to every question that they're asking. He is the one that can satisfy their hunger. He's the one that can give them shelter. He is the one that can protect them through the storms. And that's why we're asking you in this series, would you just follow the leader? That's all. Just follow the leader and start getting people connected to the leader that you follow. And when you see people the way Jesus saw people, you will feel for people what Jesus felt for people. And when you feel for people what Jesus felt for people, you will do for people what Jesus did for people. You will love them. You will seek them. You will gently and kindly do what you can to steer them to the good shepherd that can love them and that can save them. So we must proactively connect with people. We need to passionately care for people. And then here's the last thing Jesus said. We need to personally commit to people. Now, this is where it kind of gets real, all right? Listen now to what Jesus says to his followers. Listen to what the leader says to his followers, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, let me just stop right here. This is really kind of amazing. Jesus is always full of surprises because this is not what I would have said. This is what he said, all right? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, let me tell you why that's so amazing to me. I want you to put yourself in Jesus' position right now, okay? He has all these people out there. He just told us about they're harassed. They're helpless. 
They're hoping. They're hurting. They need people who will connect with them and care for them and commit to them. So what does he tell his disciples to do? Well, you think he'd have said, man, you need to get out there and do something about this situation. He didn't do that. He says, all right, now you, you, you guys get it now? Yes, Lord, we get it. So tell me now what you see, men. Tell me what you see out there. Oh, Lord, we see sheep without a shepherd. And, 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 and we see people that are harassed and they're helpless and they're hurting and they're hopeless and they're full of heartache and they're empty. Jesus said, that's right. Okay, Lord. So, all right, we'll be back. Jesus said, no, 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 don't, don't go anywhere yet. What do you want to do? Um, just pray. Pray? Yeah, just pray. So they get on their knees and they say, okay, Lord, we'll get on. So they begin to pray like this. Lord, would you please take care of these people? Just, no, no, no. That's not what I want you to pray. Well, you just said there. Yeah, I know that. Okay, we'll pray. All right. Lord, would you please bless? No, I don't want you to pray for them. You just said, I know that. Okay. So what do you want to pray for? Jesus says, I don't want you to pray for the sheep. I want you to pray for the shepherds. That's what? Jesus said, look, I'm talking about a harvest. Yeah. Well, Lord, we're praying for a bigger harvest. Jesus said, you don't need to pray for a bigger harvest. You need to pray for more shepherds. So let me get to give you a good example of what I'm talking about. Do you know how many times people have said this to me? Can I, you just don't, if I wish I had a nickel. For every time somebody said this to me, Pastor, my next door neighbor is lost. My next door neighbor is going to hell. I've been praying for my next door neighbor for years and he's never been saved. Would you go see him? Me? You're the dude that's been praying for him. You're the guy that lives next door to him. Me? Well, I have prayed for him, and I, 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 I thankfully felt like saying this to people. Stop it. What do you mean stop it? We make ourselves feel good because we pray for lost people. Jesus said, I don't want you to pray for lost people. I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's not what I want you to pray about. <laughs> I want you to pray for you to go to that lost person. I want you to pray that I will send you out. So I'm just, I'm just kind of asking a question. I just wonder, how many of you right now sitting where you're sitting in that chair, right now, I don't mean later, I mean this second. I just wonder how many of you would be willing to pray a prayer like this to the Lord. Father, I am asking you to send those of us who are your followers into the fields where we live, help us to see people the way you see them, to feel for them the way you feel for them, and to do for them what you have done for them. You say, oh yeah, I'd be more than happy to say, Lord, I want you to send that guy right there. And Lord, this lady sitting in front of me, Lord, I want you to kick her in her seat. I want you to get her out there. Well, I just wonder if you'd be willing to add one last little thing to that prayer, just one. Lord, would you start with me? Would you send me? Would you move me? Would you put fire in me? Would you put a caring heart in me? 
Would you put a different eye, set of eyes in my head? Would you help me to see people the way you see them and to feel for them the way you feel for them and to do for them the what you have done for them? He says, I want you to pray that I, the Lord of the harvest, would send laborers into the harvest. Then, this is why I love Jesus too. He had a great sense of humor. People don't see this. When you study the Greek language, you realize Jesus was really kind of funny. Because what he says next is, is really, if you'd known the language you were speaking, you'd kind of laugh. Here's what we read in verse, chapter 10, verse 1. So Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive an impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. You say, why is that funny? He said, boys, thank you for praying that prayer, and you're the answer to it. They said, okay, Lord, we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. Oh, God, would you send laborers into your harvest? And as soon as they got through praying, Jesus said, there's the door. Hit the bricks. Go get them. Because when you let God open your eyes and you see people the way he sees them, and you let God open your heart and you feel for people the way he feels for people, then you cannot help but do for people what Jesus did for people. And you say, Lord, today I get it. I know what my mission is, and I choose to accept it. My mission is to go out that door and proactively look for people, passionately care for people, and I mean, Lord, do everything I can to bring people to you and to bring people to know you. That's my goal in life. By the way, the word for workers there, send out workers, that's a word that refers to common, ordinary, hourly workers on a farm. Now, Jesus used that word, I know, for a reason. He wanted to also let us know, for those of us who are sitting there and going, and here's what you're saying, well, I do it, but I just don't know how. Jesus says, you don't have to be seminary trained. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have a thousand Bible verses memorized. You don't even have to have a certain personality. That's why we're going to ask some of you in the business world to be a part of a project that was going to enable you to connect business leaders and people that you work with or maybe people that you even compete with. We're going to show you an easy, fantastic way to invite them to something that they'll gladly come to that will give you a platform that will help Teach them principles of leadership. Teach them how to have, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to run their business in a better way. And all you're going to be doing and what we teach you to do is simply follow the leader and position them where they might want to follow the leader too. Because if everything I've just said to you is true, if everything we saw Jesus did, he really did, then the greatest work you will ever do on this planet ever is to get into the harvest. The greatest thing you'll ever do is become a worker, planting the seed of the good news of the gospel, watering that seed with your compassion and your commitment, and be a part of harvesting other people as you follow the leader. And by the way, you don't have to be a business person to do this. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of harvesting to do in a lot of businesses in this city. There's a lot of harvesting to do in a lot of schools in this county. There's a lot of harvesting to do in a, do in a lot of neighborhoods all over Atlanta. There's a lot of harvesting to do in schools and athletic teams all over this county. And we need to simply pray right now that beginning with you and beginning with me, that God would send workers into this harvest just to make a simple connection to other 
people, and we've already told you time and time again, this week, we have given you on a silver platter an incredible opportunity just to be workers in God's harvest field. Every person here, everybody here, no exceptions, no excuses, no exemptions, everybody here can invite a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a relative to Fan Day. You already know what's going on. Next Sunday, Bobby Bowden, the winningest football coach in, in, in NCAA history, is going to be here. And we're going to hear about his life. We're going to hear about his faith. And then I'm just going to do one simple thing when that whole thing's over. I'm simply going to share the gospel. And your invitation this week, your invitation could plant a seed in the life of someone far from God. Your invitation could be a life-changing decision for Christ next Sunday. So what are we giving you? We've got invite tickets. We've got prayer bands. We've got other tools you can use. They're all in the display at the lobby. Get all that you want to take with you. Because just think about what might happen if every person in this room just invited one person. Just think, let's look what might happen in this one building. If everybody in this room invited one single person. You might sit there and say, well, I, I don't know. Luke, can I tell you this? There's a man in our church. He's a Florida State Seminole graduate. He's a part of the Florida State Seminole fan club. He has invited 3,000 Florida Seminole fan club members to come next Sunday. 3,000. You say, what will we do with them? We'll figure it out. I hope they all come. But let me just tell you one last thing, and then we'll wrap this up. Jesus said, pray that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. Now, this is what's so funny and well. You wouldn't know this if you didn't know the Greek language. You know what that word send out means? It doesn't just mean pat somebody on the back and say, okay, God bless you as you go. That word send out means to cast out. It was the word that was used to exorcise demons. It meant to cast out demons. In other words, Jesus literally said this. He said, this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray something like this, Lord, would you help me bend over so that you could kick me right in my rear end and get me out there trying to reach people for you? That's exactly what he said. Would you help me? So I know you've never prayed that prayer, you know, to bend over, but I'm telling you, he said, would you just, Lord, just pray and just do it. So let me just wrap up now. Two things, we're done. A lady just saw me out in the hallway told me this story. Last Sunday, there was a couple that came to our church. They'd been inviting them and inviting them and inviting them and inviting them and inviting them. Didn't come. They had a, two sons. One's 30 years old. 30-year-old, far from God, far from God. Last Sunday, they finally came. They finally brought that 30-year-old son. So he heard me preach about the value of a soul last Sunday. How valuable, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about, how valuable a soul is. Well, Thursday of this week when that terrible storm hit, he's on a motorcycle, goes around a curve, loses control of his bike, wraps it around a telephone pole, kills himself. When they talk to their friends, they said, you invited us, and you invited us, and you invited us, and you invited us. 
And though we're so sorry we didn't ever take up your invitation until last week, we at least are so grateful that our son got to hear God's word one more time. Now that's what's at stake as to whether or not you get up out of here and you say, you can preach all you want to. I'm not inviting anybody. I'm not going after anybody. I'm just not going to do it. That's what's at stake. And that's why I'm asking every one of you to make this a unanimous vote today. Pastor, I'm going to bring somebody next Sunday. And I'm not going to bring Billy Baptist or Peter Presbyterian. I don't need him. I'm going to go after somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to go after somebody that's lost. Because the worst thing they just tell you no, if they tell you no, you've lost nothing. But what might happen next Sunday? Because there are a lot of people out there, yeah, I get it. They're not going to come hear me. They will come hear Bobby Bowden. And what might happen if we really got serious today and said, yes, you can count on me. So I'm going to close with this. You do understand why Jesus left a throne in heaven and came to a manger on earth, right? You, you, you do understand why Jesus died the death of a common criminal, even though he's the judge of the universe, right? You, 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 you do understand why he did that. He did it. Because he wants to proactively connect with you. He did it because he passionately cares for you. And he did it because he is personally committed to you. And out of gratitude for his grace, we ought to follow the leader and just do for others what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together.